Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Anybody ready to make unusual spiritual progress this morning? Amen. Just seeing, seeing who, I'm, who I'm working with this morning because there's, there's progress to be made. Amen. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to happen passively. So progress isn't going to happen to you. You're going to have to decide. I'm making some unusual spiritual progress, and we can make progress today. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So if you've been with us the, the last month or so, we've been doing this series that we're calling Almost Heaven, and we've been kind of playing off of the idea of you know, our state's unofficial slogan or, or whatever it is is and talking about how there's an assignment on people who have decided to follow Jesus that we have a job to do while we're here, that we're not just kind of in a holding pattern waiting until someday when we go to heaven, that as long as we're on earth, we're supposed to be establishing God's kingdom here. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said that we're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done where? Not just out there somewhere, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That we are supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. That that's that's our assignment. And I shared with you that when we started this series, we really thought this was going to be uh, primarily just an outreach series. We're going to go out and and win people to the Lord. And we we want to do that. But the way that the Lord has led us in this series is really we've been focused on, the the majority has been focused on us as a church and where our heart is and what God wants to do in us and really kind of setting the atmosphere of making sure that as we go out and compel people to come in, that what we're inviting them to come into is something worth coming into. That if they come into an environment, you know, people adjust to the environment that they're in. And so we want people to come in, not to an atmosphere where people are uh, disinterested, disengaged, lukewarm, kind of indifferent, or just kind of going through the motions. We want to be people that are, our hearts are on fire for the kingdom of God. Amen. And so we've, we've talked about a number of different things. We've talked about really loving God with all of our heart, not, not just because we know that's the right thing to say, but are we people that we genuinely love the Lord with all of our heart, that we love him more than anything, anything else. We've talked about purifying, consecrating ourselves, repenting of things that we need to repent, that we want to run the race to win, that this isn't a practice round. We've talked about all those different things that if we're going to do this, if we're going to be church people, if we're going to be Christians, let's be all the way in. Let's give God all of our heart. We just sang about, I'm laying my life down. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm not holding anything back. If we're going to serve the Lord, we need to do it wholeheartedly or just, just Stop, stop going through the charade that it's all or nothing when it comes to the Lord. We realize that, right? It's God wants everything or, or nothing. Lukewarm people, the Bible says that Jesus will spew, spew them out of his mouth, which is not a compliment, right? Anytime you spew somebody or spew on somebody, it's, it's not you know, a, a pleasant thing. And so we don't want to be in that category of people. We've talked about taking our place in the body of Christ, the role that you have to play, to be the the man, the woman that God has called you to be. Talked about things that keep people from doing that. We looked at the life of King Saul, 
how he, when it was time for him to step into that role, to be king, to, to play his part in the kingdom of God. It said he was hiding among the baggage. We talked about not allowing our past and those kinds of things, or any kind of fear, insecurity, past success, different tests that we have to pass to take our place as men and women of God. If you were here last week, we celebrated Mother's Day together. We looked at the life of Ruth, and we talked about passing the test of the mundane, just the daily routine, the, what can seem like a drudgery of life, which is just another day, same old. We talked about a few different aspects. We talked about how this, the Bible says, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, realizing that God, when God makes things, he makes them with purpose. He makes them with intentionality, and that applies to today. That as we approach today, it's not just, eh, just another day, just another Sunday, eh, just a regular old, old Monday. No, there's no such thing. That we need to approach each day as special and full of purpose, full of meaning. God wants to use you, minister to you, do something special every day. We looked at the, in the book of Hebrews where it talks about some people entertain angels unaware. He's giving advice on the way that you interact with people, the way that we treat strangers. I have no idea who this guy is. Well, you should still be careful and be intentional about the way you interact because it could be far more significant than you realize. It's just, just a guy. You, you, it could be more significant. You don't understand the significance. Applying that same principle to how we handle every day. You know, today could be more significant than you realize. So you need to be intentional and careful. It's not a throw, throwaway day. We talked about that. We talked about the prophet Samuel, how God said not one of his words, God put a blessing on him that not one of his words fell to the ground. Every word mattered. Every word had impact. Every word changed the situation. Not one of them was just a throwaway word uh, spoken, spoken in vain. Well, that was a blessing on his life because he was, he was a prophet. So in his role, speaking was very important. That's how he played, he fulfilled his assignment. Well, God's no respecter of person. So that same blessing can come on you and come on me concerning the role that you play, whether it's your role as a mom, your role as a dad, a husband, a wife, whatever it is, that the things you put your hand to in carrying out that role, that nothing is done in vain, that everything you do, making a bologna sandwich, tucking your kids into bed, whatever it happens to be, that nothing is done in vain. Somehow God can use everything that you put your hand to that all has impact. And then the last thing we talked about was where the Bible says the number of your days, he will fulfill it, a blessing that God gives in the book of Exodus. The number of your days he will fulfill. We talked about filling our days full. However many days you have, there's a blessing from God that can make sure however many days you have, you have that many full days. No, no empty days. Amen. No empty days. Every day is full of meaning, full of purpose, full of impact. There are no days where we're just spinning, spinning our wheels. You know, we're blessed to live in West Virginia. Almost heaven, West Virginia. It's a wonderful state full of wonderful people, but it's also full of significant problems. As great of a state as it is, we've talked about some of the statistics that West Virginia is at the top or the bottom, depending how you look at it. In almost every category, when you look at poverty, when you look at education, when you look at people's physical health, when you look at drug addiction, all these kinds of things, West Virginia leads the state in bad ways. Number one state as far as children being raised by people other than their parents, leads the country in divorce rate. These things that, that aren't, aren't good. Have you ever wondered why, why is that? What is the cause? Why are we in such bad shape in so many of these categories? If you've ever thought about it, just kind of accepted it as the way it is, why, why are things the way that they are 
we need to know that so something can, can be done about it. Well, today we're going to shift gears a little bit in this series, and we've been talking primarily about making changes in us. We'll shift gears and start to talk about changes being made through, through us. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence. I thank you for each person here this morning. And Lord, I pray you bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and teach us. Spirit of revelation and understanding, come and flood our hearts with light so that we can know you more. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is a, a way that people think, a way that people approach life that is uh, increasingly more prevalent. We see it more and more, just kind of a, a mentality that people have and really affects the, the way that they, they live their lives. And you've probably noticed it, maybe you've experienced it, sociologists and psychologists who call it a victim mentality, or it's even called the victim syndrome. It's this mindset, this kind of belief system that someone else is responsible for everything negative that's going on in my life. And I'm just kind of an innocent bystander of what has happened to me. And the things that aren't right, where I haven't achieved success, where things aren't going well in my life, it's because someone else, something else, some situation outside of my control. Have you seen people living like this? Have you, have you noticed this kind of in, in society? Feel free to respond in any way. You can nod. You can, you can shake your head no. There's a, there's a kind of a, a victim mentality. It, it can look different ways. Maybe for a student in school, uh, the reason that they get bad grades, the reason that they're being held back, it's not because uh, that they don't study. It's not because they uh, don't prepare or don't attend class or don't pay attention. It's because the teacher's lousy. It's because the teacher doesn't like them. It's because the teacher likes other kids better and has it out for them. That, that's, why they're not, that's why they're getting bad grades. Or a kid on a sports team, the reason they don't play, it's not because they're lousy at the sport, right? It's not because they don't attend practice or other kids are just better than them if the coach wants to win. It's because the coach isn't good. The coach plays favorites. The coach is buddies with the other kid's parents, and that's why I don't ever get to play. It's this victim mentality. It doesn't just affect kids. It affects adults. The reason that a person doesn't have a successful career, the reason their business fails, the re reason that things don't go well for them, that it's because my, my dad wasn't a good dad, my childhood was, was rough, if life isn't fair, it's always someone else's fault. The reason someone's marriage is struggling or failing or has failed, it's not because that person's immature. It's not because they're a selfish baby. It's because their spouse didn't love them right. It's because their spouse, you know, didn't show them the affection. It's always, it's always someone else's fault, right? It's this victim victim mentality that affects so many people. I, I spent some time reading about this this past week. Here are some commonly held beliefs by people that have this, this victim syndrome. One of them is things are bad and there's nothing that I can do about it. Bad things have happened in the past. Bad things are just going to continue to happen. That there's no point in trying to make changes because there's nothing that can be done. It, it's not going to do any, any good. Another belief is that others are to blame and someone else needs to do something to fix the problems that I'm experiencing. People that have this victim mentality like to hang out with other people 
who also like to complain and also like to blame other people for what they're, they're going through. You, this sounding familiar, you've seen this, you've noticed this at all. One of the benefits of people having this victim mentality is that there's like a, a twisted sense of freedom that people like to adopt this way of thinking because they're, they're free from any real responsibility and someone else, it's always someone else's fault. They're never on the hook for anything. And it's, it's easier to see in other people, but maybe, maybe that victim mentality has affected us more than we realize. That victim mentality in some ways can seep into the body of Christ if we're not careful and we can see problems and where things aren't right and we can, we can point them out and we notice them and man, people need to get their acts together. Have you seen what's happening in our community? Man, it's a shame what's going on in the schools. Have you driven through downtown lately? Man, it's, it's awful what's going on. I wish people would live better. I wish families would stick together more. I wish people wouldn't be strung out on different substances. We can point it out and wish that people would do something different. God, don't you have some kind of plan for making impact and changing things? I thought we're supposed to see your kingdom come and your will be done. God does have a special group of people that he wants to use to make impact. He calls them in the Bible, he calls that group of people salt and light. And the people that have accepted Jesus as savior have kind of enlisted themselves in this category of being salt and light. But the problem is people don't always live as salt and light. If you follow Jesus, Jesus, if I follow Jesus, our assignment, we are the people that are responsible for making a difference, for living in a way that we establish the kingdom of God. And our job isn't just to point out the flaws, but God wants to use us to change the conditions all, all around us. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning in the next few minutes about you and I really understanding the role that we have in our community, the role that we have in advancing the kingdom and understanding what, what our place is, who we are in Christ and taking our place in Christ and functioning at that level. So we'll kind of go back. I'll, I'll try, to, try to follow me this morning. Try to cover a lot of ground. If you're taking notes, write stuff down so you can go back and, and review it. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 26. says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on, on the earth. Now, there, there's so much we could pull out of just those couple of verses. We'll try to hit on just a couple of things. One, who was it that man was made to be like? God said, let us make man in our, in our likeness. Pe people don't like it. 
People can get upset about it. People can think that it's inappropriate. People can think that it's arrogant. People can think it just doesn't sit right with me. People can get religious about it. But if I'm just a person that wants to know, what, what am I doing here? What, what, how am I supposed to be? Who am I supposed to be? What, what is my role? Why did God make me? How did God make me? And I, I want to go to the Bible and try to learn what, what, was, what was the whole idea in making me in the first place. And so I go, I go back and just simply read the word of God of how I was constructed how man was made. The Bible said that I was made. The original design, the original intention was what? That we would be made to be like God. You were made in the image and in the likeness of God. Now pay attention to the, the first characteristic that is mentioned after he says that we're made in the likeness of God in verse 26. God said to himself, let's make God in our image, in our likeness. And then he mentions a characteristic, which, which is significant. If, if you didn't know me very well, you never met my wife, you didn't, you didn't know my, my kids, and we met one day, and we're just kind of getting to know each other. We're making small talk. I'm asking about you. Oh, what do you do for work? Tell me about your family. You ask me questions about my family, and I start telling you, yeah, I'm, I'm married. I, I have a wife. We've got, we've got four daughters. And I'll tell you what, my daughters are, they're, they are, it's like they were made in the very likeness of their mom. They're so much like their mom. It's like they were recreated in, in her image. You should see the noses on these girls. I mean, they, they've got, I mean, just like a schnoz. It's like a, I mean, more, it's more of a beak, really. They got like a toucan. Those girls' sense of smell, they, they can pick up on, on a scent. They're like bloodhounds, these girls. If I, if I started talking about a characteristic like that, what, w- what would you immediately think of my wife? You, you would, if I'm saying they're made in her likeness and then I, I start talking about a characteristic, you would, you would have to link those up because you, that's just the, the way a conversation flows. So when God says that I'm, they're made in my likeness, they're made in my image, and then starts talking about dominion, those two things are, are tied together. That when we're made in the image of God, we're supposed to carry his dominion. God wants people, he created us, that we wouldn't be victims, that we wouldn't be tossed around by the circumstances of life. It's just one tragedy, one crisis. We're always just kind of responding to this happen and that happen. The the heart of God is that you and I would be men and women that walk in dominion. You can see it all through the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 28, God wants people that are the head and not the tail, that they are above and not beneath. That, that, that is God's desire. So God created man in his image. He created them to walk in dominion, to be in charge, to be above. But you know the story of Genesis. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The devil shows up tempts them, they give in, and in doing so, they transfer dominion that God gave them to the enemy. That by obeying the devil, they become subject to him, and he becomes the one who is running things here, here on earth. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that whoever you obey, you become a slave to the person that you obey. So when they chose to disobey God and to obey the devil, they became slaves of the devil. And when you are a slave of someone, then you don't have dominion over the one that you are a slave to. They, they received the dominion that, that you had. 
And so you can see that in the Bible that the devil is the God of this world. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four talks about how Satan, the God of this world has blinded the hearts of those who don't believe the, the gospel that he is the one who has received dominion. Let me read it to you in Luke chapter four, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, Luke chapter four, verse five, it says, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. Now, this is a real temptation. The, the temptations that Jesus went, it wasn't just a, a game, right? Jesus was, was really tempted. So if Jesus knew that the devil didn't, he didn't really have all authority, it wouldn't have been a temptation. It's only a temptation if he really knows that the devil has this to offer. If I'm trying to talk my wife into doing something, if I'm trying to tempt her, and so I try to, to bait the temptation, if you rub my feet, if you'll rub my feet, I'll give you a bazillion dollars. That, that would be of no temptation to her. You know why? Because she knows that I don't have a bazillion dollars. She probably knows that there is no such thing as a bazillion dollars. I don't even know. But I can't tempt her with something that she knows that I don't have. So this is, this is a real temptation. And Satan says, again, verse Verse six, and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered, delivered to me. All authority has been delivered to me. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about what happened in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and they delivered the authority that they had received. They delivered it over to him. But Jesus came, not just to keep the status quo, Jesus came, the Bible says, for this reason the Son of God was made manifest, that he would destroy the works of, of the devil, to reverse things. Jesus came to restore things that had been lost. So by Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, things aren't the same anymore, that we can be reborn, right? When we come to know Jesus, when we accept him as Savior, there is a rebirth that happens. That's why we talk about becoming a new creature from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's not not just poetry. It's not a neat way of thinking of it. Old things are passed away. All things become new. You really become a new creature. There really is newness of life that's found only in Jesus Christ. It's not kind of, it's almost like life is brand new. No, there is a new existence. You become a new creature. So while you are, you've been born once physically, when you come to know Jesus, you are born again spiritually. You become alive. You're, you're a different species of, of being. John chapter one, verse 12 says to all who believe in him, he gave them the right or the privilege to become children of God. You're a child of your mom and dad, but when you accept Jesus, you become a child of God. First John chapter five, verse one, those who believe in Jesus, they have been born. They've been born of God. You're reborn. And so you were created once physically, but now there is a new creation that happens. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter four. It says, but that isn't verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Listen to this. Put on your new nature created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on your new nature. What's he talking about? Walk according to the way you've been, your, your, born again, your, your, your new creature status, put on your new nature. Why would you have to instruct someone to do that? 
Because it doesn't happen automatically. You've got to be intentional. What does that sound like? It sounds like Genesis chapter one. You're put on your new nature, created to be like who? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Genesis chapter one, man was created to be like God. Adam and Eve screwed it up. They sinned, gave dominion away. And so Jesus came to recreate, to reestablish, to restore what was lost. And so the new man has been recreated Put on your new man, created to be like, like God. It's a new creation that Jesus is called the second Adam. Adam came, messed things up. A second Adam was sent. And now there's this new species, this new line of being that we can be born into when, when we accept Jesus. It's one of the reasons it's so important that we walk according to the Spirit. When the Bible says to, to walk according to the Spirit, it's not just some religious rigmarole. You'll just be generally nicer and more religious if you'll do that. It's talking about walking according to the part of you that's been recreated to be like God. That you, you have a, a body, you have a soul that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you have a spirit. It's the spirit man that's been made new, created to be like God. And so when the Bible tells us to walk in the spirit, it's telling us to walk from that part of your being that's been recreated as a son of God, as a daughter of God, to live from that standpoint and allow that to affect your, your mind. It talks about having your mind renewed by your spirit, man, to allow things to flow from there because people can walk. You can be born again, but still walk according to the flesh. Right? There's fleshly Christians, carnal Christians. They live according to the flesh. There's people that can walk according to their emotions, walk according to their own will. That's why he's telling, he's telling believers that you've got to put on your new man, make a decision. I'm going to walk according to the part of me that's been recreated. I've been made to be like God, created once and then recreated to be like him. Turn your Bibles to Matthew or Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 15, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, I want to read the signs that he's talking about. But before I do, some people will, will hear this passage when he talks about signs and wonders, miracles, setting people free, casting out demons, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, they'll explain it away by saying, well, he's, he's talking to the, the, the original 12 here. He's talking to the apostles. And so it applied to them. It, we, we can't expect for that to apply to us. But if we just simply notice the language that Jesus is using, and these signs will follow those, those who believe. He's, he's talking about a different, he wouldn't say he would follow you guys. He's talking about a cat. The, the, the disciples weren't messed up on their pronouns. They understood the way that Jesus was, was speaking. He's talking about a different category. Who is the those? The, the those who believe. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go tell other, these guys already knew. They're standing there looking at the resurrected Jesus. They got it. Now go tell other people the good news. Those who believe, these signs will follow, not just you guys, but those who believe. Listen to these signs. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will, will recover. 
What does that sound like? He's reestablishing the dominion that was lost. He's talking about you've been recreated to be like God, and these are the kind of signs that will follow somebody that understands and believes the significance of what Jesus has accomplished, the dominion that was lost. Now you have a spiritual level of dominion as we live from that part of us that has been resurrected. You were, you were created to be like God, and then he recreated us to be like God, created to walk in victory, created to advance, and then we've been instructed to establish the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? If that, that's true, then why don't we see it happening more? Why, why don't we see, there's Christians all over the place, you drive around, there's churches all over. Why don't we see these things happening if this is, if this is true? Why don't we see the kingdom of God affecting more lives if this is true? You know, one of the places where we can see a promise of God, a desire of God that wasn't carried out, a group of people that were given a promise, enabled to take land, establish and advance the kingdom of God, but failed to do so, is with the children of Israel when they went to the promised land. You know, the, the Bible says that those, those things that were written about them were actually written for our benefit, that when they did good, we could learn from them and pattern ourselves after them. And when they messed up, we could learn from their mistakes so that we don't repeat the mistakes that they made. So if you're familiar with the story of the children of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. God comes and uses Moses to rescue them with the plagues, all of that. Amazing things happen. They come through the Red Sea. It parts. They, they go through. They go through the wilderness, and they arrive at the promised land in about two years. It took them about two years to get to the promised land. When they got there, they decided to send in 12 spies or 12 scouts to go in and check things out. Those men go in there, they look around, they come back, they bring a report. You can read about it in Numbers chapter, Numbers chapter 13. And they come back and they say, man, it is amazing. They brought some of the fruit. Look at it. It, it really is a land flowing with milk and honey. But the people there are strong. The cities there are fortified. And 10 of the men said, there's no way. We don't stand a chance. We ought to just pack things up and go back to Egypt. Two of the men said, no, if God is with us, we, we can do what he said we can do. Let, let me read from Numbers chapter 13, just a couple of verses. Verse 30, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. You've got these two men that saying, we are well able. We can absolutely do it. We are well able to do this. God's promised it to us. We can take the land because God said we can take the land. And then you've got a group of men that said, actually, no, we are not able to do it. And the interesting thing is that both groups were right. That what they believed about God really ended up playing out to be reality in their lives. And so one of the things we can take away from Numbers chapter 13 and how this whole thing played out is that what you say about God and what you believe about God will actually be the reality of what you experience about God. And I'm not talking about getting extra biblical and God's whatever you say and he's whatever you believe and he's whatever you want him to be. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you and I have the ability to walk in the fullness of God's word and his promises or to squander it away. And if you doubt it, you say, oh, I don't think think we can do that. I don't think we can really make impact. I don't think God can use me. You will see the very thing that you believe play out in your life. That both groups, both groups of men 
saw that they were right. Those men that said, we can't do it, you know what? They ended up dying in the wilderness. They couldn't take the promised land. They said, there's no way we're going in there. What they believed proved true in their lives. Those two men, Joshua and Caleb, that said, no, actually, we can do it. I believe the word of God. Those two men, Joshua led them in. Joshua was the one that led them into the promised land. They, they believed they could, and they could, and they got to experience what they believed God said they could, they could experience. And so you and I can apply that to our lives. You can do, and God will be to you, what you, what you choose to believe from his word and apply to your lives. Or you can, the, the Bible says that that group of people, they limited God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 78, 41. It says, yes, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They were able to limit God. God wanted those people to go in there and enjoy the land of milk and honey, but they didn't take the land. They didn't advance because they, they didn't believe. They didn't believe the word of God. That discouraging word from those 10 spies spread through all the Israelites and they believed that they couldn't do it and that ended up being a reality for them. They couldn't do it. You know, Last week, we talked about discouragement and how damaging discouragement can be. Talked about refusing to listen to the voice of discouragement. You know, discouragement is far more damaging than just affecting your emotions and just getting you down, right? That we've got to fight against discouragement, understanding that it's more than just, you know, I'm feeling kind of blue today. You'll have to excuse me. I'm kind of melancholy. I'm just feeling a little discouraged. If I seem kind of off, I'm just feeling a little discouraged. It's more than just being emotionally subdued and having to fight through it. It's, it's far more sinister than that because the root of discouragement, the voice is telling you what? It's telling you how lousy you are. It's telling you that you're not able to do the things that you're, you're attempting to do, right? The voice of discouragement that causes you to feel down is because there's a, a, a voice that says, you, you know you're a terrible mother, right? You know you're doing a horrible do job as a husband? You know that you're a deadbeat father. You know that you'll never succeed at this business. You, you realize that, right? You, you're, you're terrible at this. You're a horrible teacher. You really think God, you're, you're just not a good Christian. You, you call this the serving God? Man, you are lousy. And the voice at the root of it, it it's telling you what? You can't. You can't. And so giving in, it's more than just emotions because the root that you're buying into is something that's telling you you can't. And if you believe it, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you've got to fight discouragement, understand it's trying to pull you out and keep you from being the man or the woman that you've been called to be. That if you listen to the voice of discouragement, it's attached to a root that you're buying into a philosophy, a way of seeing yourself that is completely contrary to what God's word has to say about you, that discouragement is, is terribly poisonous and damaging, but it also helps us to see how important encouragement is, to have people in our lives that speak words of encouragement, to be somebody that calls out potential in others, that a word of encouragement is not just a, a pat on the back and telling someone to turn that frown upside down and just trying to, you know, just a little ray of sunshine, you know, a word of encouragement. It's just like a little flower just to kind of brighten your day. No, it's way more, it's way more impactful than that. Because when you start calling out, I mean, 
genuine encouragement. When you start helping people see who they are in Christ, you know that you're a great man of God, right? You know that you're an anointed woman. You know that what you're doing matters. Do you know, you know you're having impact, right? You know that you are filled with the spirit, that the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in this earth. You know that you are anointed, that you're gifted. You know that you're chosen. You know, you realize you're bearing fruit, right? You know that you're an overcomer. You realize that you're more than a conqueror, that those who rise up against you don't stand a chance, that God is for you and who can be against you. When we start speaking that into each other's lives, it's more than just trying to cheer someone up. You're helping drive discouragement off of someone's life. You're casting vision for who God has called them to be. You're helping them to see themselves in line with the word of God. So we've got to be encouragers in each other's lives to help be like Joshua and Caleb. No, you, you are able to do everything God's called you to do. You are well able to take the land. You're well able to lead your family well. You're well able to make an impact in the community. You can take that workplace for Christ. You can be fruitful. Jesus chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you and that you would bear fruit and your fruit would remain. That's what the Bible says about you, to cast vision for other people and to help them see themselves the way that God describes them. Encouragement is important. And discouragement can be deadly in, in our lives. We don't want to be like those people that failed to do what God called them to do. That God's called us to take the land, to, to get this place like almost heaven. That's what he called us to do. And we're well able to do it if we'll believe that we're well able, well able to do it. That we don't want to have a victim mentality waiting around for someone to get things straight while we're the people that have been given the assignment to get stuff straightened out around here and establish the kingdom of God. That it's, it, we're the people. And really, it's, it's immaturity. A victim mentality, it's really just immaturity, isn't it? I can't do anything. I need someone else to take care of me. I need someone else to clean up after me. If I'm a mess, it's someone else's fault. If I'm hungry, it's someone else's fault. If I'm not nourished, it's someone else's fault. That, that, that's an infantile mindset. And it's, it's valid for a baby. A baby really does need someone to clean up after them. A baby really does need someone to carry them around and wash them and clean them. And they're, they're completely reliant. The problem is when people move from being babies to teenagers to adults, to 40 years old, 50 years old, and they're still carrying that mindset that was appropriate when they were six months old. They've changed, but their mindset hasn't changed. And the Bible talks about people who should be mature, but they still have a baby mindset. One of the ways that the Bible talks about people like that, it, it uses terms of people that are on milk and people that are on, on meat people that are, are ready for solid food, people that are, are, are handling solid food well, and people that it's, they still are on a liquid diet, right? So if you have your Bible, you can turn to, to John chapter four. I, for the sake of time, I won't read the entire story, but in John chapter four, it's, it's the, story of, the story of the time where Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. And his disciples, he sits down by the well. He, he's tired. His disciples go into the village to get, get something to eat. And while he's there, this woman, this Samaritan woman, comes to the well. And she starts drawing water. And Jesus says, hey, you know what would be awesome? If, could, could you get me a drink of water? And she says, how can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? And, and Jesus says, well, if, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd actually be 
asking me, me for water. And she says, well, how could you get water? You don't have a bucket. You don't, you don't have a rope. And he says, actually, the, the water I give, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. It'll become a, a fountain bubbling up to eternal life. She says, well, g- give me that. I'd, I'd love to have that water. He says, okay, go get your, go get your husband. You remember the story, right? Well, I don't have a husband. Yep, you spoke right. You actually have had five husbands. The one you're with now, he's not your husband at all. I perceive, I perceive that you're a prophet. And she changes the subject and says, you know, Jewish people says we're supposed to worship here. Our people say we're supposed to worship over on this mountain. Jesus says, well, the time is coming and now is where the Father is seeking for people that will worship him in spirit and truth. They, they have this, this whole dialogue, right? Well, someday the Messiah is going to come, she says, and Jesus says, you're talking to him. He's here. I'm, I'm the one. So we'll pick up the story there. John chapter 4, verse 27. says, and at this point, his disciples, his disciples came and they marveled. They talked with a woman, yet, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, to finish his work. Come back, Jesus, we brought you some food. I'm actually good. I have food that you guys don't know about. Does someone someone bring Jesus food? And Jesus says, "My, my food, my food is to do the will of the Father and to carry out his work. Let me read that verse to you in the King James Version. Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. My meat. He's talking about solid, solid food. Now, sometimes when we talk about getting into the meat versus milk, we just talk, we're just thinking in layers of teaching, of deeper teaching. And I understand that there's some teaching that's a little easier for people to understand, and there's things that are a little more complicated. But if we're going by what Jesus says, as he talks about meat, he's not talking about a level of Bible study. He's talking about being a doer of the word, not just a studier of the word. When he's talking about the meat, my meat, he doesn't say my meat is to do a deep study of the book of Leviticus to find types of Christ and projections of the gospel. That's not what he says. My meat, my meat is to do the will of the Father and to carry out, to carry out his work. So when we understand milk and meat, and trust me when I say this, I, I am for Bible study. I love Bible study. I love listening to the Word of God. I'm 100% for all of those things. But what I'm also for, and more importantly, what Jesus is for, is not just be people that receive the Word, receive the Word, that a person who is mature, that's that's a meat person, a solid food person, right? That's a person who doesn't just listen to the Word, that they are a doer of the Word. Meat is to do the will. That the Bible describes itself that the Word of God is milk. 1 Peter 2, 2, that we're supposed to crave the pure milk of the word. That God's word is milk, it's nourishment, it's good. Doing the word is, is meat. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, 
And he says, you know what? You guys are, are like babes. You, you needed milk. I couldn't talk to you in anything but milk. In fact, you're, you're still in that state. I still have to talk to you about that. So the, the first Corinthians is milk by, by Paul's own definition. He's writing to them. I have to speak to you that what we're dealing with here is milk. So most, most believers understanding of meat is if I said, Hey, first Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, let's dig into the gifts of the spirit. We're going to get into some real meat today. Well, just, just studying it. And I understand the levels again, but that that's not meat because the, the one who authored it said, what we're dealing with is, is milk. It's like, if I came over to your house and you served me a meal, or if you, you brought me some food, you brought me some food and say, Hey, did you, did you eat that macaroni and cheese? And I said, Oh man, the, the, the steak in there was awesome. Like, there was no steak in there. What are you, what are you, are you crazy? There was, there was, there was no meat. We, I, I can't get something out of it that you, when you made it, you didn't put, put into it, right? And so when he says, hey, well, I'm, I'm dealing with milk, that, that meat isn't just dealing with the word. Meat is applying the word, that we, we would be people who actually carry out and do what the word says. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter five, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That you, you should be teaching, you should be on where you are right now, but you're still on, on milk. And again, we're, we're for teaching and learning and all those kinds of things, but the Bible also warns against a category of people that they're forever learning. They're forever learning and they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of, you know, we, we believe what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. We believe you can lay hands on the sick. We believe we can set people free, but we're never act. We just want to continue to learn about it. Let's just keep learning. And I just need to learn some more before we actually see those things happening, that, that's a dangerous mindset to, to fall into because it keeps people waiting. That once I get to the meat, then I can start doing. When we're in reality, once you start doing is when you get to the meat. That, it, that if you are always just waiting, I mean, if I get to the, I just need to learn a little more. I need to get to the meat of this and then I can start actually being someone that carries those things out. That's a holding pattern that'll keep you studying forever and ever, trying to get that nugget, trying to get that extra verse, trying to, to get that extra insight. And all the while you're missing out on the meat because you aren't being a doer of the word of God. Now back in John chapter four, Jesus Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of the Father. If that's the way Jesus defines meat, then that's why I want to define meat. My meat is to do the will of the Father. And then listen to this very next verse, verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. This is interesting. Jesus goes from talking about what is meat into a mindset that's always saying later. It's always saying later. It's always saying somewhere down the road. You say, your mindset, Jesus says, is four months, four months unto the harvest. But that's a mindset people have. You know, I like, I like blueberries. I love blueberries. Every year for my birthday, that's what, that's what we do. Every year for my birthday, we celebrate by going to the blueberry farm and we pick we pick blueberries. God loves me so much that he has orchestrated blueberry season 
the ripening of the berries, the whole agricultural system and my birthday to line up so on my birthday every year I get to go pick blueberries. They're ripe. It's like peak blueberry season every year. Isn't that awesome? What a good God. You could say coincidence. It's interesting how people would choose to give credit to coincidence instead of just attributing to them. What a good God. What a good God. So I choose to believe that God arranged things like that. After all, my due date was May 24th, so being born in July, God was at work, contrary to what my mother might tell you. Anyway, if you wanted to pick blueberries today, you know what I have to tell you? I love picking blueberries. That was awesome. I'd love to do that with you. We're going to have to wait. Not yet. We're going to have to wait. Not yet. We're just going to have to let time pass. That's what Jesus is addressing, a mindset when it comes to what? A mindset when it comes to handling meat, when it comes to doing, when it comes to carrying out the will of the Father, he immediately goes from that, what it takes to get to me and the doing, to this mindset of not yet, somewhere down the road, that we'll get to it eventually. But he says, what I'm telling you is open up your eyes. Look, if things are ready now, you need to start stepping out. You need to start doing the will of the Father. That Don't listen to people. Don't listen to, to man's explanation. Don't listen to, to some religious hoops that you have to jump through. Now is the time for you start to carry out the works that God has assigned to you. The, the, the fields are white unto harvest. That you say four months, you say somewhere down the road. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, when he would minister, when he would perform a miracle, how often did the religious people say, you know what, you shouldn't have done that today. Well, can't you come back another day and perform uh, some other time? The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. That people and religion and your own mindset will keep you chasing your tail, always somewhere down there. You need to learn more things. You're not quite qualified yet. And people will spend their entire lives waiting for the time where they can actually start doing the things that God's called them to do. And man puts, man puts different, uh, uh, expectations, things that you need to do to be qualified. And people waste opportunities waiting four months when Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, you can start doing those things now. And I wonder how many people have been affected in their lives that when they, they read the word of God and we read Mark chapter 16 like we did a few minutes ago and you read about setting people free, casting out devils, laying hands on the sick and seeing people recover and there's something on the inside of you that wants that so bad. Man, I want you to use me like that, God. I, I want to walk in the dominion. I see it in your word and you want it so badly but then there's some voice, some thought, some person that says, yeah, someday, someday you'll get there but not yet. Four months, somewhere down the road, once you get a little more mature. But that, that's really not what we see in the Bible. It's a, a, a a religious spirit, a human, human mindset, whatever it is, it tries to keep people from actually carrying out the works that God has assigned. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, those who believe, didn't say after, after several years of training, after jumping through all the right qualifications, after a certain holding period, after proving themselves in X, Y, and Z ways, it says they, they, those who believe can, can do the stuff. Amen? You know, when you read in, in Mark chapter five, the man who was filled with a legion of demons, you're in bad shape if you've got a, when you've got a legion, amen? When you go from naked and cutting yourself with stones, howling, living in the cemetery, set free, and moments later, that, that man said, 
Jesus, I wanna come with you. Can I come with you? So I wanna follow. You know, we would think that's probably a good idea. Someone coming out of that, they could probably use a few months under Jesus' wing, right? But what, what did Jesus tell him? I want you to go. I want you to start telling people what I've done for you. He says, I want you to go to the Decapolis. That means 10 cities. He, send, he, he turns them loose. That seems like craziness to us. Later, late, somewhere down the road. Yeah, I can see you using somewhere down the road. God wants to use you now. God wants to use you today. We don't have to wait. Those who believe can set people free, can get people saved, can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That if we're, wait, we're waiting for, for people to do the things, we're the, we're the people. And instead of waiting, we need to get busy carrying out the works of God. But one of the things that can hold us back is this feeling of, of inadequacy. And so I want to look at one more, one more passage and then we'll, we'll receive communion and we'll pray. In fact, I, I won't even read it to you because you're familiar with it. Luke chapter nine is one of the passages you can look at where Jesus has a multitude of people, a multitude of people, and he wants his disciples to give him something to eat. Thousands of people. In this case, Luke chapter nine, 5,000 men, and Jesus tells his disciples, feed them. And they say, well, what are we going to feed them? We have to work months. They find a few loaves of bread, a few fish. Say, well, all we've got is five loaves and two fish. But what is that among so many people? This, this doesn't, I mean, with this many people, that's not going to do anything. They're, they're focused on how inadequate. But you know the story. Jesus says, give them to me. He takes the loaves. He takes the fish. And it says that he takes them and he does what? He blesses them. He, he doesn't command the fish to become whales. He doesn't tell them to turn into giant fish. He doesn't tell the, the couple of fish to turn into multitudes of fish, turn into thousands of fish. He just takes them and he blesses them. And then he begins to distribute. And it says that everyone ate their fill and there was 12 baskets left over. You know, when we talk about the blessing of God, we'll celebrate the blessing of God. How many of you know we're blessed when we rise up? We're blessed when we lie down. We're blessed when we go out, blessed when we come in. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the country. How many know that we, we are blessed? We'll celebrate the blessing of God. We're excited about the blessing of God. But sometimes when you then ask somebody what the blessing of God means, I, I don't know. I mean, I know it's, I know it's good. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm blessed. Not entirely sure what that, uh, what that looks like. Well, from the story of the loaves and the fish, one key aspect of the blessing of God that we can understand is that the blessing of God takes something that is completely inadequate to nourish and to minister to people and swallows up that inadequacy to make it more than enough. That if you are blessed, and you are, then you can understand the blessing of God on your life takes all your insufficiencies, all your inadequacies, all your excuses of why you don't have enough, why you aren't enough, why you can't win those people to the Lord, why you can't see them set free. The blessing of God on your life makes it so you are more than enough. I'm not talking about self-confidence. I'm talking about a confidence of the blessing of God that's on the inside of you, the anointing that God's put on you, the ability that you are able to do everything God has called you to do. That it was an insult, it was cruelty for Jesus to say he wants us to to go and tell people the good news, see them set free, healed, delivered, brought into the kingdom, if you and I don't have the ability to do that. But it's not when we walk according to our flesh or according to our emotions. It's when we live and walk from that point that's been recreated to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So if the blessing of God can take a dried up dead fish and make it so it can nourish and minister to thousands of people and become a testimony, 
What's the blessing of God do on your life and on my life? I don't know how, how discouraged the enemy's been able to get you, but if you can just get yourself to feeling like you're, you're at least at the level of dried up dead fish, right? Can you get yourself at least to that point? I don't think much of myself, but I, uh, dried up dead fish, I, I can see it, I can see it. Okay, if I can get myself to that level, if I can trust the blessing of God on my life, I'm more than enough with plenty left over that God can use me in supernatural, amazing ways to fill people up and send them talking about the glory of God and singing the praises of God because of the blessing of God that rests on me. Those people didn't leave there singing the praises of the fish. They left there talking about how wonderful Jesus is. That, that's what we want to see. Amen? Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.